0: is to, to, to share the word, and um, a tremendous honor to have the trust of, of my brothers, and, uh, our fellow leaders, and men that I respect so much in the kingdom, and it's a tremendous privilege for Nikki and myself to, to serve in this capacity uh, for the next five years, and I really do want to just say again that we're so thankful that the Lord has, has put his hands uh, upon our lives, and, we understand that we are servants in god's kingdom and we understand the great responsibility that come along with us and Andres, thank you so much for the introduction thank you also for honoring uh, um, pastor fred and lucille in their absence and want to echo that beautiful foundation none of this would have been possible amen uh, except for the foundation they have laid and so we are so thankful and, and humbled also to to walk um in a legacy that they have left us and um just couldn't agree more. is also with uh, mom and dad. Just really want to honor you. I want to thank you for your prayers. Uh, praying for me while I was in the womb, prophesying over me, believing in me when I one stage wanted to give up on the church in my rebellion and uh, just bitterness towards uh, some aspects of the church. Thank you for believing in me and for coming after me and just being a safe space for me and for continuing to be a safe space for Nikki and myself and for our children. And one day when I'm big dad, I wanna be like you. Um, welcome to all of our churches streaming this morning. Thank you so much for joining us, and also a big welcome to our parents in the toddlers' room. Hope you guys are surviving over there, and that you're hearing the, the Word of God. And, and uh, yeah, I think there are just so many people that I want to thank this morning. It's probably going to take me the whole service just to, just to do that. Um, but you know, none of this would have been possible for me to do what I'm doing without having an amazing woman by my side. And um, love, I just want to honor you and want to thank you for being my uh, dark-haired princess. you have always been, and and, uh, you've been there when we had to make difficult decisions. You believed in me, and you believed in the Word of God. And from the word go, I remember we were friends for a long time, and uh, when I put my heart on the table to Nikki, and I I said that, and I believe God has called us to be more than just friends. Um, she didn't take it too well. I still have the bruise just underneath the, the kneecap where I was kicked. She felt that uh, I was ruining a beautiful friendship. But um, I, I very humbly submitted to her that I believe that nobody else in the whole world can love her the way that I can. And uh, yeah, can you believe it, eh? And, uh, and she believed. What's wrong with my head? Oh. <laughs> and I'm thankful for that, for that moment. And, and Nikki told me unequivocally, she says that uh, I am not sure whether I, I trust you fully yet, but I do trust Jesus. And I do, that, do know that you hear here from Him. And so I'm willing to walk this road with you. And babes, thank you for putting your hand in mine so many years ago and for continuing to put your hand in mine. Um, let us pray. Father, we thank you and we acknowledge God that this moment, Lord, and that this weekend comes from you, God, that this is your design and this is your plan, and Lord, that you have a divine appointment with with each one of us this morning. Father, thank you that none of us are here by accident, God. None of us are here simply because this was a good idea or a nice event to come to, Lord, but we are here because you have led us here by your spirit, and so we yield to the purposes of your spirit this morning, Father. And we pray that you will come and that you will have your way with us fully and completely, Lord. I pray that we will not just leave here having been entertained or challenged in some way, Lord, but truly having been transformed. We thank you for what you have begun to do, Lord, from Friday night all the way through to Saturday, Lord God, and and this morning. And thank you that you will continue that work, Father. We honor you and we, we bless you that you have called us together as a family to praise you, to worship you, God, to just relax in you even, in your greatness, in your omnipotence, in your sovereignty, in your power, in your ability to remain faithful to every word that you have spoken over our lives. And Father, we bless you, we praise you, and, and thank you that this morning, God, all the glory and all the honor will continue to go to your name, in Jesus' name. I want to ask you guys that, that you would read with me from, from Haggai, um, one of the... Um, minor prophets in the Old Testament towards the end, just before you, you get to sort of towards the middle of your Bible. Uh, Malachi, you'll find Haggai there. And um, this conference for me was, was birthed really out of a, out of a time of, of just trusting the Lord to lead us as a shofar family of churches into a place where we would truly worship God in spirit and in truth. Uh, what's been amazing about what the Lord has been doing in our midst is that we've had such a powerful spirit encounter with God over the years. So many of us have come to Shofar, so many of us have have had experiences here where God came and He touched our lives and He transformed us uh, deep down on the inside and and we connected through the worship. I remember 1994 walking into Stellenbosch High School and there were about 20, 25 people there. But what drew me to that congregation was the authentic worship. I, I remember walking in there and sensing the presence of God. I remember walking in there and understanding that there is a preeminence and an importance and a priority placed upon the presence of God above all else, that there were a lot of things that were negotiable, a lot of things that would change, a lot of things we could discuss, a lot of things we could debate, but we would not debate whether the presence of God would be central to everything that we do, and that has bonded us together, that has helped us to rise above cultural differences, that has helped us to rise beyond generational differences. And just traveling throughout our shofar family of churches these last six months, I've been so privileged to be an eyewitness to what God is doing, to go to different congregations of different sizes in different locations in different languages even, and to sense the same spirit there, that when you walk in and we start worshiping God, we connect with God. There's a hunger for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that has been something that's so special, and it's something that has carried us even through some difficult months through some very challenging conversations that we had, the unity in the spirit was something that couldn't be shaken and couldn't be broken. The unity in the spirit was something given to us, not by man, but by God. That we, we've been born by the spirit of God. As individuals, we have been born again by the spirit of God, and as a movement, we have been birthed through the spirit of God. And I've always known it, that Jesus builds his church, but. You know, now my eyes and my ears have seen and heard it. Jesus is building his church and, and his church is stronger than ever before. This part of the body of Christ has come through a, a testing time in an amazing way, in a miraculous way because of the bond of the spirit between us. But I felt that as we're going into this next season, that God is wanting us not just to worship him in spirit, but also to worship him in truth. To, to get to the place where we are not afraid to ask some honest questions. And one of the questions we've been asking ourselves is where is the love? Where is the love that God has poured out into our hearts? How is that manifesting? Where is that manifesting? Is it manifesting? And if it's not manifesting, why not? And I don't know about you, but we've had some wonderful conversations this weekend, haven't we? We've had some incredible conversations right throughout Friday, just understanding that sometimes it's important for us to slow down, to stop, to, to listen, to give God the opportunity to speak his word into our hearts again. And, and throughout Saturday, just constantly, so many different speakers coming. I was so um, encouraged by Cornet sharing with us. That often he doesn't know what God wants to say to him until his, his feet touches the uh, the ground of the nation or the town that he's in. I'm encouraged by that, Cornet, and I pray God would give me that same uh, privilege because I often don't know what God is one to say until I step onto the stage. So that's, that's sometimes a, a massive, massive challenge, just having to navigate through that. But I'm encouraged by just the, the testimonies and the vulnerability that came through throughout all the speakers. I was so encouraged by John. Uh, every time I visited Ross's congregation in Durbanville, I, I had this, this, this spirit of covetousness that I had to fight off John. just being there with with Ross in his his congregation, I would look at his venue and think, oh, that's an amazing venue. I would look at all the stuff that God is doing through his life, and I felt like such a bad pastor. And you encouraged me that you struggle with many of the same things, that uh, you also have to fight against that spirit. So so thank you for your vulnerability, John. And, and, uh, you know, it is unfair. I mean, Ross can sing as well. You know, I'm just like, come on. Yo, that is just like, you know, I, I just thought it would be so easy and you know, if I could sing as well. It would just be amazing. Not long the man have calves and, you know, he's, he's got a voice as well. So I'm sure there's another thorn God has given you in your flesh, Ross. I, I, know, I know that he does, and we, we just want to honor you. Thank you for the words that you shared with us, Ross. Thank you for just living that word and not just preaching but living it so faithfully. And, and see us as well. Thank you for your consistent love just for the nations and for, and for people all around you and for living three lives in one, <laughs> inspiring us to, to run further and, and faster after God. And, and just the session on forgiveness was amazing, wasn't it? I want to encourage you, if you missed any, any session and any of the, uh, the panel discussions that we had, get the audios, all right? Download it, listen to it, listen to it over and over and over and over again. Slow down, take a day off maybe, take off from work fast, break away. Um, Because this time that God has given us, this time together, is so precious and so important, we dare not just gloss over it. We dare not go back to our congregations and to our families and simply have business as usual. We dare not go back as if God hasn't spoken to us. We dare not go back as if God hasn't invaded our space. We need to show that we have listened by how we behave. Amen? We need to show that we have listened but how are we gonna behave tomorrow when we go back to work, we're back to our families. And I was wrestling with this word a little bit. I said, God, you laid this theme on my heart to speak about love, and now you give me this word, and on the surface it's got nothing to do with love, but I trust you. So, and the Lord said it's got everything to do with love, it's my word. So, you know, news flesh to the pastor. Haggai chapter one. In the second year of Darius the king in the sixth month, On the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. What is fascinating about this word that comes to them is that this word of the Lord comes and addresses all the different facets of society. Um, If you were to to look at Haggai, you would see that there are uh, a lot of characters in the book of Haggai. It's obviously God, the Lord of hosts, uh, who brings his word. But then you have a whole bunch of other characters, then. And if, if, if I had time, I would have come up with some, some nice PowerPoints as, as well, because you, uh, they would all start with a P, see us, to take a cue from, from you. Um, you would, you'd, you'd have the prince there, Zerubbabel. The political ruler, the political leader, called by God, ordained by a, a pagan king and sent with a divine assignment to go and to do something within Judah. To lead God's people back and to go and establish law and order. And then you have the you've got the priest there, Joshua, who was who was coming from a line of of priests and who had to make sure that he would facilitate the anointing of God, that he would bring the needs of God's people before God and the heart of God before the people. And then you would have in there also the people. And the word of God comes to the political leader, comes to the spiritual leader, and comes to the people and speaks to them. And I believe that at this time we are going into no longer will the word of God simply be Be limited to the priest. Simply be limited to the man on the pulpit. Simply be limited to the one who has the dream and who has the vision that he has received from God. But I believe with all of my heart that we are at a time when the Spirit of God is speaking to the prince, is speaking to the priest, and is speaking to the people. And when the Spirit of God speaks that God has prepared our hearts as a church family, to respond to that voice. And the word of the Lord comes to them and, and the word of the Lord comes to, to Zerubbabel first and challenges him and, and that's the beauty of leadership, isn't it? James said it, that don't, don't jump up and get all excited about being a teacher or being a leader because you know you'll be held to a higher standard. And that's why when we say, and when we ask you to pray for us, we, we don't just say that to be nice. <laughs> we say that because we need your prayers. We say that because we, we, we cannot do this without your prayers. And Nick and myself, we are so thankful, and as the leadership team, we are so thankful for the way you guys have been praying for us these last couple of months, but for, for many years. Thank you. So many of you that are sending us words, you've got no idea the difference that your words make in our lives. How it encourages us, the simplest of words, how it encourages us to keep on keeping on, to do what God has called us to do. But we know and we understand that God in a very real sense holds us as leaders responsible for the state of his people. And so God comes and he speaks to Zerubbabel and he speaks to Joshua. And he challenges them in this this next way and he challenges the people as well. And so this this morning i want to share a collective challenge which God has spoken to my heart and which he's speaking to us as leaders, but which I believe God is speaking to all of us. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Just some context quickly, the the people of God have been, we all know, if you look at the Old Testament, that there are a few threads that run throughout the Old Testament. The one of them is the constant, almost stubborn rebellion and unfaithfulness of God's people. The ability to constantly run away from God. The ability to constantly take beautiful things that God gives them and to mess it up. To to twist things and to pervert things, I mean, right back to the Garden of Eden, the most beautiful, perfect setting, we mess that up. And we continue to mess things up, don't we? I mean, all of us who have been married for any stretch of time, we know that. We know that it doesn't take too long for us to understand the selfishness that lives in our hearts. The two human beings that come together, basically come together in a state of brokenness. And as, as humanity, we have this wonderful, powerful gift to mess things up. Now, those of us that had, had kids, you look at the little baby, and you think, what an angel. You know, just such such beauty, such glory, such holiness, sleeping like a baby. This child is obviously going to be just a supernatural being that is just going to hear the voice from God because we've prophesied over them and we've spoken words over them and, and the pastors laid hands on them. And, you know, and then they grow a little bit older and you discover, but the flesh is alive and well. You know, the flesh comes with that package. There's a, a selfishness in there. And you leave them for any stretch of time and they will start just hurting one another and hurting themselves. We as human beings, we, we just do that. We've got that, that, that tendency. We've got that self-destruct button, don't we? With a finger very close to it. We're left to ourselves. We will, we will destroy ourselves and we'll destroy one another but the more powerful thread in the Old Testament is this that in spite of God's people's constant deliberate rebellion is God's constant focused faithfulness is the God that comes looking for his people time and time and time again never gives up on them and so God's people rejected him and rejected so much of what his heart was for them and they were taken away into captivity by various people and you know, the exile in Babylon. But then God raises up a pagan king and, and he gives them permission to come back, to go back to, to Judah. About, around about 540 thereabouts. They go back to Judah and, and, and the people, what's fascinating is that all the people were given permission to go back by Cyrus. He says, you can go back to Judah and not only can you go back to Judah, but I'm going to give you decrees and letters that give you access to resources to go back and to rebuild Jerusalem, and to go back and to rebuild the temple. So not only does he send them back, he he sends them with resources. He says, I'm giving you everything that you need. Go back and go and rebuild the temple of your God. Then the Bible says only about 50,000 or so of them responded. A small number, scripture says, of those who were in exile. Not all of them accepted the call to go back and to rebuild the temple. Many of them had become comfortable with the life in Babylon. Many of them had become comfortable with how they'd organized their lives within the pagan environment because God, in actual fact, did speak to them at one stage as well and said, buy for yourself houses They plant vineyards, get, get, get wives and, and get husbands. And yet now, now comes the word. Now, now comes another word to them and says, you have the opportunity to go back. You have the opportunity to go back to your roots, so to speak. You have the opportunity to start over. And only 50,000 of the people respond, the rest stay behind, and there would be successive returns to, to the land of Judah, but, but only a few of them return, and they start rebuilding the, the, the foundations of the temple and clearing out all the weeds, and, and they confront with the blackened stones, ruins of what this glorious temple at one stage was. And, and Ezra tells us that, that when they, they laid the foundation again and they, they brought back the the slab on which they would would place the altar of sacrifice so at least they could sacrifice again, and they laid the foundation, there was a mighty shout. There was a shout of rejoicing as God's people rejoiced and said, yes, we can see God's hand. We, We can sense things beginning to shift. We can see that God is busy doing something amazing. We were taking a small step, Yes, it's not the glorious temple of Solomon, but, but here's something beautiful beginning to happen. We, we can start again. At least we can start with the sacrifice again. And God says, a great shout arose from amongst the people of joy. But with that shout of joy, the Bible says a commensurate shout erupted as well. And it was a shout of, of weeping, the shout of, of grieving, where there were, were older men who were young when, They left Judah, and they still remembered what the temple looked like. And it says that their grieving arose to such an extent that you couldn't distinguish between the joy and the grieving, and it broke the hearts of the people who were busy building. And they lost heart, and their disappointment in what the temple looked like squashed their spirits. So that for 15 years, nothing more happened. For 15 years, they still went on with the sacrifices. For 15 years, they still went on to to have an outward appearance of of, of worshiping. And I'm sure many of them were genuine, but they they did that within the context of the ruins. In other words, they, they settled for the ruins. They settled for the ruins. Things will never be the way that they were before. We will never again have the glorious temple that we had under Solomon's time. We will just set it for a measure of revival in our, in our bondage. And it's within that context, 15 years later, that Haggai arrives on the scene and he brings them this word. Thus says the Lord of hosts, and it was important for Israel to, to understand who's speaking to them, because at this stage, they were a small nation. They felt insignificant. They were, they were subject to great empires who had conquered them, who had ruled over them. And and this word comes to them and they feel small and they feel insignificant, but it's important for them to understand that this word doesn't come from Haggai. This word doesn't just come from from one of their brothers, it comes from the Lord of hosts. It comes from the one who is in control of of the kingdoms of the earth. It comes from the one that created the heavens and the earth. It comes from the Lord of hosts, the one who is faithful to his promises. And so the word, when it comes to us, even the prophetic word always has at its aim to elevate us and lift us up of the bondage of our circumstances. And for many of us in this room, there are circumstances around us, ruins around us that we have accepted. That we know that it could be more, we know it can be greater. We heard so many beautiful testimonies this, this weekend Especially John speaking to us about the beauty of generational worship and, and, and loving our families. And many of us are challenged in that regard or many of us are challenged when we, we look at some of the panel guys here that, that are living their lives for the kingdom of God, wanting to use finances for the kingdom or wanting to use their homes for the kingdom. And we're challenged by that and we look and say, oh, I had a dream like that many years ago. When I came to salvation, when God spoke to me for the first time, I had a dream like that. But my circumstances are telling me a different story. My circumstances are dictating something else to me. And there's this massive gap between the word and our experience right now. A massive gap between the promise and our reality right now. And I believe that God is wanting to stir something in our hearts. That God is wanting to stir faith and a boldness and a confidence again to do what the people of God had to do at this time. So the word comes to them and it's a tough one. And he says to them, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And remember this is about 15 years. This has been going on. It says, the time hasn't come. God, you don't know our circumstances. God, you don't know our enemies. God, you don't know how how vulnerable we feel and how weak we feel. The time hasn't come yet to rebuild our, to rebuild God's house. And then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. And he says this to them, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? And so while I was just sitting here this weekend, the, the, the Lord just began to challenge my heart. And he says, Heinrich, you can have a conversation around loving one another and loving the world. And it's an important conversation. And I'm having a conversation with you concerning my love for you. And I want you to know that I'm not gonna drop you. I want you to know that I know you. I want you to know that you cannot outrun my love. I want you to know that I'm passionately committed to you. I have not given up on you. I don't care what your background is. I don't care how far you strayed from God. God says he has not given up on you. He hasn't given up on his purpose on your life. And he wants you to know how much he passionately loves you. Not just theoretically, not just in some airy-fairy way, but he loves you. And he has arranged this weekend and this morning for you to know that. And It's a conversation that God has with us over and over again. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And that love needs to flow through us to the world. But the Lord challenged me this, this weekend. and he says, Heinrich, that is a conversation I want you to have, but there's another conversation on my heart, and it is this, do you love my house? Do you love my house? Do you love my house? And God comes in and he speaks to a people who were challenged with that. Because it is clear and we all know this as husbands we know this we understand this we know that it is easy for us to say babes I love you and she's gonna say to us not show me the money maybe sometimes show me the money but mostly it will be show me the time show me the time show me the diary show me the diary and I will tell you whether you love me if we love someone We invest time with that person, don't we? We invest time with that person. One of the reasons why I'm excited about ministry and raising my family within the context of ministry is because my dad made time for us. My my, my memories of of growing up in a a ministry home are, are memories of my mom and dad laying their hands on young people within a very conservative church and those young people being slain in the spirit and speaking in tongues, them getting into trouble for that having lots of board meetings and, and being, you know, put under a lot of pressure to recant and to go back on the stuff they believed in. And that's part of my memory. But I've got beautiful memories beyond that of me riding on my dad's back down the, the passageway before he has a meeting, of me going with him on Heisbesuk, house visits, <laughs> going to, to people before we would go on holiday and just spending time with them, of of... of, of, of getting into bed with him, remembering his fragrance. Afternoons lie on his chest. But he would make time for me just to be on his chest and just to, to remember him. Often when he would be away, I would remember his fragrance. Back then he was brute, he was brute. Don't know if anybody remembers brute, <laughs> but he uh, was brute back then. He allowed me to remain close to him in spite of his busyness in spite of the fact that he shepherds so many other people. And so the fragrance of ministry, I carry with me in a very real sense, the fragrance of my dad, the, the intimacy, the knowledge, the closeness. You don't have to do ministry and your family suffers. You don't have to. It doesn't have to be a choice between the two. You can grow up in a ministry home and love the house of God passionately. You can, it's not impossible. But there's a reality where God comes in and he, and, and he says, I, I want you for a moment, church, to consider your ways. He says, consider now therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He says, you say it's not time to, to build my house, it's time to build your house. And, and so what happens is there a focus shift has come in. They shifted from their original purpose. And, and, and don't get me wrong, it is we've just been through a renovation process bought a house and we renovated the house well I'm probably speaking prophetically now when I say we have been through it we are still in it but I'm speaking it and I'm declaring it that we are we are getting through it and there's nothing wrong with building your house there's nothing wrong with with investing within within property there's nothing wrong with that the the question here was not that they had built their their homes that the issue here was that they had prioritized the building of their homes over building the house of God they prioritized that Because their purpose for going back to Judah wasn't primarily to build their homes. Their purpose was to build the house of God. That's why they went back. And they'd shifted their purpose. They'd shifted their focus. It's it's, it's more comfortable. Maybe it's more familiar. We don't wanna be reminded of the pain, and so so we stay within our own houses. And and God says, consider your ways. In the Hebrew, that literally means, set your heart upon your ways. So he's saying to them here, don't think just cerebrally, don't just think through your intellect, don't just think through your budget, don't just think through the things that make sense to you, but but think with your heart, put your heart into your ways, consider your ways, engage with your heart. Engage with your heart, consider your ways. You've sown much and you've harvested little. You eat, but you, you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your full. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so, only to put them into a bag with holes. And so so he's saying to them, look where your focus on your own house has got you. (laughs) Look where it's gotten you. It says it still leaves you empty. Now we heard yesterday the human desire for vengeance, even when you get vengeance, it will still leave you empty. It does not satisfy we will never be satisfied if we make our families, our careers, our whatever it is that God-given thing, ministry even, we will never be satisfied if we make that the focus. And guess what, I can stand up here and preach and minister to you and still not have God's house as my priority. It's not, it's not about the externals, people. He says, consider your ways, put your heart into it and, and, and engage with your heart. Where's your heart? Is your heart for my house or is your heart for your own comfort? It says you've built paneled houses. There's only two times where the description is used of building a house. The one is when Solomon's temple was built and the other one was where one of the, the kings of Judah's palace was built. Paneled speaks about something beautiful and something glorious. It says you have gotten your priorities out of whack. And nobody wakes up saying, hey, I'm going to backslide from God's purpose for my life. This is a wonderful time to ruin everything. I'm gonna make things incredibly difficult for the generation to come. No, that delay happened because they allowed disillusionment and disappointment to grip their hearts. Because isn't it a little bit easier just to focus on your own house than to have to think about the Lord's house as well? Because the Lord's house, we all know within our context, doesn't really involve this. It's awesome, isn't this a lovely venue? Just to be here and to experience the intimacy of God. We pray a blessing upon Paul Gymnasium. Amen. Paul Boys High. Amen. Amen. Yes, we pray a blessing upon this, upon the school. But it is not about the externals. It's not about it's not about the externals. It's not about where you meet pastors. It's not about that. We know that within our context, the house of the Lord is the people of God. The house of the Lord, is, is we, we're temple, but together, collectively, we're we his house, we we gather, And, and God comes in and he, and he says to them, you, you've, you've allowed despondency to grip your heart. You've allowed discouragement and intimidation and maybe even disappointment because things didn't turn out the way that you thought they would. And then God says, I, I'm frustrating you because look at this, he says, Consider your ways, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. And so he says, get out of your house, he says, get out of your house, get out of your life, get out of your, your obsession, get out of your focus right now, get out of it, get out of your house. Bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little and when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord. And so here the Lord is saying, I'm in your frustration. I'm in your frustration and I might just be the cause of your frustration. I might just be the one that is scattering things around you so that I can get hold of your heart again. Some of us are in a place where we're asking God a lot of questions around God, why isn't this working out? Why isn't that working out? And I wanna say to you, I firmly believe that a lot of our questions will be answered when we reconnect with God's house. When we come and we say, God, here's my heart for your house. Come and do something in me. I remember just growing up, forgive me, I'm going to talk about my family quite a bit, but growing up in, in a ministry home, and it's one of these verses the Lord just impressed upon my mom and my dad to speak into our lives. that I was young and I was old, and I've seen the, the, the young lions lack and go hungry, but I've never seen the righteous go hungry. And we, we never had lots and tons of stuff, but we had provision in the house. We had the bread of life in our home. We had provision spiritually, emotionally, and, and even physically. I was looking at this verse that speaks about um, people who take stuff and they put them into bags, but these bags are filled with holes. And I remember the first time my dad spoke to us and he said, I'm gonna give you guys um, pocket money. Now, in English, it sounds lovely, pocket money, okay? Uh, my understanding Afrikaans was different because pocket money gives you a good description, right? Pocket, pocket money is money you can put in your pocket. In Afrikaans it says, um, I will begin to give you, what I heard was bags of money, okay? That's what I heard. I heard that I was gonna get a sack full of geld. I was gonna get a bag full of money. That's what I heard. You know, so I started making the sums and, and the stuff that I would, I would buy, you know, and and then, and, and then lo and behold, Great dad, sorry you don't know this, but great was my disappointment when the two rand came, or the one rand. It was a big one, all right, it was a big one. You could buy a Coke, some chips, and lots of sweets with it still, but you know, I, I wanted the He Man, man, you know. That's what I wanted to buy because I, I thought, you know, I would get a bag full of money. You know, my folks thought He Man was from the devil, so in any case, they didn't allow us to. It's a lot of stuff that uh, we had to work through at that, at that stage. But God comes and he, and he says, I want you to, I want you to, to, to gaze again on my house. He says, I'm, I've, I've been frustrating you. The answer to many of your calling questions, your purpose questions, lie in the area of your frustration. And God is busy frustrating you. God is busy just making things uncomfortable for you. Say, so God, what are you wanting to say to me? And this is what God comes and he says to his people, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I've called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labors. And, and here God says, I'm behind the drought, he says. Now I'm hesitant to say that God is behind the drought in the Western Cape. I don't want to declare that, but I'm suspicious. <laughs> Let me just say this, I'm suspicious and I'm wondering if he's not. And I'm wondering if he isn't wanting to get our attention in the Western Cape about some stuff that is going on all around us that should not be going on. Not if there's a vibrant, faithful community of believers who believe God's word who believe that God has called us to reach nations and generations, to raise up disciples, to make leaders, to plant churches, to make a difference in our community, to spread the love, to share the love. Why are we having more than 100,000 young people in the Cape Flats in gangs? Why is that? Why is the church powerless to do anything about that? Why are those young people experiencing a greater sense of identity and community within violent gangs than they do within the church? Surely God's house is in ruins there. And can we continue to go to our paneled houses while that is happening down the road from us? Can we? Can we live with that? Can that be acceptable to us? Is that okay or should we be considering our ways? Should we be engaging with God around the bloodshed that is taking place since, what's it, April till now, we've had over 60 violent child murders in the Western Cape. Violent, grotesquely violent, if I were to tell you, you would bury your head and weep for days. Is it acceptable? Could it be that God's people need to engage with him around the injustice that's happening and not just pray for the rain? Pray for spiritual rain, pray for, as Ross said, pray for a rain of justice. And say, God, we wanna see your house restored where your house can make a difference. And look what he says. he says, he speaks to Zerubbabel, he speaks to Joshua and he speaks to the people and he says, consider your ways. It's a collective appeal, but an individual appeal as well. Because Zerubbabel, Joshua and the people, each one would have to perform a different function. And so my appeal to you would be consider your way. Consider what God has said to you this weekend. Consider it, put your heart into it, don't ignore it. Some of you have responded to altar calls. You need to to write those words down that were prayed over you because the devil will come to try and steal them. You've Gotta go home and covenant with God around them. Say, God, this this is your word, I'm gonna hold onto it. You have spoken this into my heart. I'm not gonna let go of this. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel and Joshua, the son of Jehoshaddak, the high priest with all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And I just, even as I'm just giving you this challenge, I want to encourage you as well because this is what I see amongst us. I see a group of people desperate for God's voice. I see a group of people that don't just want to hear nice stuff. I see a group of people that are saying, God, give us the tough stuff. We want to be transformed. We want to be changed. We want to be obedient to your voice. And that's what excites me about this church family. I spoke with one of our brothers from Myanmar and he, and he, and he says that, you know, just, just going, going there and, and receiving our teams, he often just feels that they've got, they don't have all the stuff that, that we have. And I says, our teams come back encouraged. Our teams come back challenged. Our teams come back knowing they've met with God there in circumstances completely different to ours. Where we need one another, where we need to engage with each other. The people obey the voice of God. And I wanna thank you church, family of churches for your heart of obedience to the voice of God. I wanna thank you for staying true to the word of God even when things were challenging. Even when you had many reasons in the natural to wanna walk away for staying the course. Thank you for putting the word of God first. And I know that God is gonna continue to speak to us mightily and powerfully. And then the word continues to say Uh, Joshua, the son of Jehoshedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. I wanna encourage you that the words that the Lord has given you this weekend, act on it. Don't wait for us, don't wait for the pastors, don't wait for us to declare something from the pulpit to say now it is time, it is now time for the NGOs or it is now time for the prison ministry or it's now you don't need our permission to do what God has called you to do. You don't need a pastor to come alongside you and say, this is the way, go in it. You have the Spirit of God upon you. The Spirit of God comes, speaks to Zerubbabel, speaks to Joshua, and speaks to the people of God. There's a crucial, integral, indispensable role you have to play. Zerubbabel can't do it on his own. Joshua can't do it on his own. The people can't do it on their own. We need to do it together. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. And he says to them, I'm with you, declares the Lord. And then verse 14, and I'm trusting this for us this morning. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel. Look at this, they received the word. They listen to the word, they receive the word, they obey the word, they they turn their hearts back to the house of God. They don't have all the answers yet. The circumstances haven't changed. The the ruins didn't build themselves all of a sudden. They didn't speak to the ruins and say, ruins be thou risen up and be established in the name of Jesus and so shall it be, yea and yea. And then stood back with a thankful heart. They turned their hearts towards God. Many of you, in this moment, your head is spinning. You're thinking about the calculations. What will it mean? What will it cost? Don't go there right now. Engage with your heart. Just say, yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, there are quite a number of us in this room. We haven't said yes to God yet this weekend. Don't leave this place without saying yes. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. I want to do what you've called me to do. I'm with you declares the Lord and then verse 14 and the Lord stirred up the spirit I mean that speaks about an awakening of the spirit there's this beautiful combination where the spirit of God comes speaks to the people and then something happens to their spirits notice first not, not, not the resources first not the not the not the, the, the all the other external things first but something happens to the spirit we are spirit Led, filled, empowered people. And if we are going to take the land that God has for us, we will need to move from God's spirit. And we will need to engage with him from our spirit. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the son of jo- uh, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. As a stirring of the spirit. And I believe with all of my heart this morning, God is wanting to stir some spirits in this place. where God supernaturally wants to fan the flame, where He supernaturally wants to awaken many of you that have allowed a spirit of slumber to come upon you to to drag you into disillusionment. And to say to you, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. (laughs) And they came. As their spirits were stirred, they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts. They got, notice the order, their spirits were stirred. It's a spirit work. And out of that, they came to work on the house. On the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, the second year of Darius the king. Then a couple of days later, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came again by Haggai the prophet. He says, speak now to Zerubbabel. That's my cue. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. I, I, I looked at this and I, God, you're saying this over and over again. You know, it's Zerubbabel, Joshua, the people. But I believe he's saying it over and over again because we don't get it. We don't get it. We still think it's Zerubbabel or Joshua or the people. And God says, no, it's all of you. The next work and wave of God that's going to come where God is taking us to has to be a collective, has to be all of us, has to be all of us. It has to be all of us. We cannot go where God wants us to go without all of us submitting our spirits to God and saying, God, come and have your way with me. Come and ruin me to myself. Heinrich and Nikki cannot do this. We are not the people God has chosen to change and transform this community of believers. We cannot do it. We are not your saviors. We are not your deliverers. We are not your provision. We are not your hope for your marriages. We are not your hope for your future. We are simply fallible human beings. God's spirit is the defining factor, amen? God's spirit is the defining factor. He shapes us, he molds us, and he stirs us. He stirs us. If I were to see us, I would ask you to turn to your neighbor and ask him, are you ready to be stirred? So God comes and he he asks the people, who is left you? Who's left among you who saw this house in its former glory? Who's left here among you who saw this house in its former glory, he says. And how do you see it now? All right, just there you go. Put it out there. How do you see it now? It says, who's here who remember the beautiful, glorious things? Who's here who remember what God is? There? Who's here who remember how we started? Who's here who remember the passion? Who's here who remember the vibrancy? Who's here who remember the intimacy? Who's here who remember the faith that all things are possible? Who's here who remember the word that God gave us that says, do not despise the day of small beginnings 20 years ago? Who's here that went on those mission trips? Who's here who believed that when you pray to God, God answers and he comes through? And when you give you him your life, He causes you to pass your exam. He causes you to get that wife. He causes you, remember those promises, guys? Remember when we were students? Remember how reckless we were for the presence of God? Remember. We dwelt there. We lived there. We breathed it. We expressed it. We experienced it. And we lived for everybody to know it. And God says, do you remember that? And do you think that now because you're 40 with your foot that's aching, and you've got all sorts of stuff creaking that hasn't creaked before, that things have changed, that things can't be the way you thought it could. God comes and He gives them this promise. He says, now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, be strong, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua. Son of Jehoshaphat, by the way, there's some of you guys, God is gonna usher you, push you, nudge you into politics and God says to you, be strong, be strong. He has called you as a prince to bring law and order to municipalities, to local councils, to school boards, to environments where law and order is needed. He says to you, be strong. Don't be afraid to go there. Don't be afraid to be the salt and the light. There's some of you with callings on your life that God has, has awakened over this, this weekend to enter into pulpit ministry and you're afraid, and God says to you, be strong. Don't be afraid, be strong. And then he says, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, work, for I'm with you. Go to the prison, for I'm with you. Go to the orphan, for I'm with you. Go to the down and outs, for I'm with you. Go to the up and outs, because I'm with you. Go to your neighbor. Go to the ends of the earth. Work, he says. Go to your workplace. Love your employees. Love your employers. Pay them well. Treat them well. Love the people who work for you at home. Work, work, work. But work knowing I'm with you. Silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. The latter glory of this house. And look what God says. He said, you've got Solomon's temple, beautiful, just like everything Israel longed for. The crazy thing is these, these old people that were young people in the days of Solomon's temple, there really wasn't any glory there for them in their context. Because those little boys, when they grew up, it was apostasy and backsliddenness, and that's why God gave the temple over into the hands of the pagans. For them, glory was the external was the way things looked. And God says, you've missed the point. It was never about the way things looked. It has always been about my presence. It has always been about my presence. Shofar, Christian church, God is ushering us out of an obsession with how things look. How we look in the eyes of the community. How we look in the eyes of the world. And he's saying it has always been about my presence. The letter glory. He says, not of this house and that house, not of this new house and and, and that other house. He says, of this house, isn't it amazing? I mean, this house at that stage consisted just of one altar and a whole bunch of broken heaps of stones. And God says, that's still my house. It's one house, it's one house. Why is it one house? Because I'm there, because I've chosen to put my name there and to put my presence there. Some of you are gonna go back to Springbok, you're gonna go back to Staniton, you're gonna go back to different places, Johannesburg, wherever, you're gonna look differently at the place where you are. God is with you. God is with you and that makes all the difference. God is with you. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. And I'm gonna wrap up with just a portion of scripture very quickly from Moses. So I want you to pray for a few people this morning. Just bear with me one minute. Number six, Numbers 11 rather, skip number six. Numbers, numbers 11, skip Numbers 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. Just some context, we heard it yesterday again, this love-hate relationship between Moses and the people. The people moan and they complain. God comes to them, guides them by fire, guides them by, a, by the cloud of his presence. And the people moan, they're the mixed multitude, they moan, there's, there's this moaning and grumbling going on. And at on one stage, God sends a fire into the camp and people start being devoured. And Moses prays for them again. He intercedes, he positions himself again between that line of the living and the dead as we heard yesterday. He did that often. But there's one incident where the, just after the other miracles, the people moan again, and so they come to Moses. Moses, we, we, wanna, we, we, we need meat, Moses. This manna is killing us. Please, we, we want meat. We want to go back to Namibia. Oh, I mean Egypt. <laughs> we <laughs> we, we want to go back. It was better for us in Egypt. We want to go back. And then, and, then, and then it says that, that God was angry with them and, and so was Moses. <laughs> Moses now actually had enough as well. And then he starts moaning to God and says to God, God, this people of yours, you've asked me to, to, to nourish them and to carry them, but you've given birth to them. I can't do this, he says. This burden is too great for me. He was always interceding for them most of the time. Now he was, it's a beautiful Afrikaans word. He was full of his behind for them. He was, he was, just, he was just like... Done, he was done with them, And so he says, God, look what he says, he says, God, kill me, he says. I don't wanna do this anymore. This burden is weighing me down, he says. Kill me, that's extreme, eh? You wanted to resign a couple of times, John. Moses wanted to just resign permanently, go to heaven. He says, kill me. It's better that I die than to bear this burden. Pastors are human. We're often at their wit's end with what to do with the amazing call that God has given us. What to do with God's people. It's amazing and it's beautiful and it's awesome as this is. And God comes and he gives Moses something so beautiful. And I want to end here. He says to Moses, Moses, gather 70 guys, gather, gather other guys I'm gonna do something. Let's put that slide on for me, please, in the next verse. Gather them together in Numbers 11. And then the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70. go to the next next verse. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spur that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. Old dispensation. (laughs) In the ceremonial law, here's God's heart for the New Testament already displayed. Remember the promise to the prophet Joel? I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And here it is in God's Moses. You don't have to bear this burden alone, Moses. I'm giving you other men. and My spirit is gonna be upon them. They're gonna help you to carry this burden. And I, this morning, I wanna honor the 70 pastors. I wanna honor my brother's show for pastors, can you guys just stand? Just stay where you are. Can you, can you stand my burden bearers? Don't you guys just wanna, just stand where you are. Just, just stand all over this place. We've got some fellowship network pastors and our other pastors from other parts of the world. We could just stand as well, all our pastors in the house that have joined us from other nations. Just please just stand with us. And our wives, please, all the pastors' wives, stand with your your spouses. God has put the same spirit upon these men that's upon me. It's the same spirit the Holy Spirit.